Yes, gentle listeners, joining us now via phone, Brother Ali. Brother Ali has earned wide critical acclaim for deeply personal, socially conscious, inspiring brand of hip hop under Rhymesayers Entertainment. He's unleashed a series of incredible projects, going to be performing at the Fox Theater in Boulder, Tuesday, February 11th. Brother Ali, welcome to KGNU Community Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I had to binge watch on your videos last night and, you know, incredible themes come through in some of your most widely acclaimed and listened to tracks. Um, You are holding the mic to represent for basically the dispossessed of this earth. I mean, you are really an MC on a mission. Tell us just basically like how this mission started for you. Well, it's mostly that, you know, I wanted to be able to both explore what life means and then also to be able to share what life means to me. And so, you know, really early on, you know, I'm an albino, so I look really different, which, you know, now that I'm in my, I'm, I'm just entered my 40s, um, it makes a lot more sense to look like, look the way that you do when you're an albino. But mm. as a little kid, it's really difficult. And I also moved a lot. Um, you know, my family was together and, and then wasn't. So I was really looking for, you know, meaning in life really young and found it in music and especially in hip hop music. And so it's always really been a lifeline for me. Um, and, you know, so I I'm, I'm feel really blessed to be part of, of this thing that I love so much. It's an incredible situation that you're part of the Rhyme Sayers Collective out of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I got my own start in radio at McAllister College at WMCN, 10 Blazing Watts of Power, from 92 to 96. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it. I was blessed to, like, be shown the ways of freestyle by I Self Divine and, you know, participate in the community there that was really just about to blow up nationally and you know there's out of that scene it seems like some really incredible lyricists in a a way that might be unexpected how did you experience that like participating coming up in that scene and like sharpening the mc tools with you know other other mcs yeah i mean that's a really really great way to describe it and i self-define this Definitely one of the people that really inspired uh, all of us. Um, you know, when somebody comes along, especially in a small town, and makes something appear to be possible, uh, that it lets everybody know, it gives everybody a permission that this is a target you can aim at. And if you work hard enough, that you can actually make something happen. And really, I self divine and atmosphere were the two that really inspired all of us and made us know that that it was possible. And it really was based on a love and a desire to be amazing in all areas. So, you know, we, in in the mid to late 90s, I would say mid 90s, all the way up into the early 2000s, we used to enter, enter these uh, nationwide competitions for freestyling and for DJing. And at that time, we, we had break dancers that were part of the crew as well. And we did really well, especially, you know, so me and Slug and others were able, from Atmosphere, were able to 
you know, place in these big competitions. But Idea, our friend who passed away since then, won a lot of the MC battles. There was one on HBO. There was like, you know, a lot of these big uh, U.S. competitions that he won. And then also his partner, DJ Abilities, won a lot of those in DJing. And, you know, there was a, an atmosphere or climate of, uh, you know, really just being together and perfecting our craft and, and perfecting whatever whatever contribution we were making or whichever element was ours that we really wanted to be the best that we could possibly be at it. And it was a lot of a lot of uh, failing together. Hmm. So there was just this this understanding that practice is about is about isn't about succeeding every time. Like practice is how you get good. It's not about already being good. So you know we could go in ideas basement or you know sometimes on those college radio stations like you're talking about. Um, Rhymesayers also had a. Uh, community radio state radio uh, show for years and years and we would freestyle in the air and uh, make mistakes and sometimes you have a really great night and other times you don't and you know just learning uh, from each other and t with each other learn from each other and with each other it was a really amazing thing to be a part of it actually is very incredible and I think that now a wider audience is able to kind of reap the rewards because you're track record at this point sort of stands alone in terms of a consistent progressive vision every song having a message of on the one hand like personal uplift on the other hand a social critique and you're really unwavering with this and I imagine that probably people are drawn to your music who are outside of your standard kind of hip-hop grouping because it's so inclusive yeah, I think that, um, that that definitely is true. And that really is something that happened. That's a kind of a wave that I would say Atmosphere and Rhymesayers were able to to kind of pioneer, um, along with others at that time. You know, there was kind of a cohort of artists that would never have been embraced by the music industry. And so, but, but really cared about doing it at a, at a high level. Mm-hmm in terms of uh, skill and in terms of care and attention to detail and things like that. So there was, you know, a movement of underground independent artists, um, you know, from the mid-90s into the early 2000s. And I would say into the mid-2000s, it was probably a 10-year period there that it was, um, you know, a really vibrant scene where, you know, you were getting these people that never would have gotten record deals um, suddenly be offered them. And then some of the people that were offered record deals by that point, we were already thriving independently, so it didn't make sense to do. Hmm. Um, you know, so I, th I think that that opened the door for a lot of not only artists that, that wouldn't have been part of the, the industry uh, to also find listeners that wouldn't have, have listened to that music because they never understood how it applied or related to them. Even if it did, they didn't necessarily get it. A lot of us that started um, creating this music, you know, we were the people that, that went to, we were in hip-hop circles. A lot of us come from the inner city and we were in those circles and we understood completely why hip-hop mattered to us, even if it was difficult to find people that looked like us being part of it at that time, that 
you know, we were we were physically there. Um, but not everybody was. That was a very rare thing, you know. And and now it's become really popular for for any and everyone to access everything because it's all on the internet. So you don't have to physically be there to hear the way people talk and see things like that. You you, you get a lot of it on social media and all this behind the scenes footage. Everyone has a camera now. Right. But at that time, you know, um, the only thing that you could get without being present were the records, tapes, CDs, and you could watch music videos. But that wasn't enough to, to actually get good at it. Like you had to be in the environment. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think um, set us apart and, and allowed us to to bring that experience and that aesthetic and those that kind of ethic um, to an audience that hadn't experienced it for themselves. Fast forwarding to 2020, um, the sort of independence that you and your cohorts have been able to maintain, this independence standing a bit in opposition to like corporate music and media practices has enabled you to be a critic of corporate um, sort of monolithic culture large at large and leading you to be able to do things like support the Bernie Sanders campaign. Um, tell us a little bit about like your involvement right now with, with, you know, the presidential uh, politics and election. Well, it's, that was nothing that I, that I necessarily sought out to do. Um, but I've always made music that, you know, like you said, I've, I've had the freedom to make music that I want to make because you know, it is really difficult. Nobody comes to musicians and tells them that they can't speak up. Mm-hmm. But if you do, it really causes a lot of ripples and it causes a lot of difficulty because of the fact that the major music industry is connected to corporate spending. That's really where that money comes from. It comes from them selling products, uh, whether directly. You know, just recently I've seen so many of musicians that I really like um, you know, just be have their music really directly connected to selling alcohol or selling other kind of products and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I have to worry about. And then also, you know, so if it's not direct like that, then, you know, I think uh, people are aware, but it, sometimes we forget that those companies are the ones that buy the advertising on television. So, you know, the decision that, you know, I was early on was on Conan O'Brien and was on Jimmy Fallon and was on all those those shows and things like that. And I did really politically um, poignant music on those shows. And I remember people telling me at that time, it's not that you can't do it, but the sponsors aren't going to like it. Uh, you're going to make, it makes things difficult for the, for the show. Uh, a lot of listeners and a lot of, a lot of their viewers, excuse me, they don't tune in to a late night uh, comedy show because they want to see, you know, this bald albino Muslim guy rapping about 
the government or about racism or about whatever. You know, that's not why they, they're yeah. watching these shows. Um, so there's even a chance that the, the people could complain. You're going to get complaints. So you can do it if you want, but the chance, unless you really become a megastar, it's really difficult to do that. So Beyonce can make, you know, can make a statement if she wants to, or Kendrick Lamar or Jay-Z or somebody like that. But if you're not a megastar, you know, it's really difficult to do. So we've been able to make that kind of music, though, because of the fact that we, our, our music isn't funded by products. It's funded by people caring about it, which means that I'm not a multimillionaire. I don't know if I'm not a millionaire. Like, I don't know if the other people in my in my cohort are. I don't think that we are. I don't think any of us are. But um, we have been able to do that. So people within the Sanders campaign actually reached out to me. I wasn't looking even to use my music to endorse anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do respect and admire him. So, you know, it's not that I think that his specific policies... Uh, his policies, um, you know, that's not how, I, that's not what made me say, yes, I'll do, you know, events for him and things like that. It was people within his campaign saying, this is a sincere person who's giving the message that he believes in, like you, you know, and I, I really can see that parallel as, as clear as day. And he's been willing to sacrifice for it over and over and over again. He, it's it's really difficult for him, even within the Democratic Party. Um, and so I think that's what made me want to support him is more so that his ethic, I think, is related to my own. Um, so when I was asked to support him, I have. That's really dope to be able to make that clear headed decision and be able to stand behind it. Um you know, the imagery that you use rhyming a lot often has the, you know, p- the picture of people standing up and being firm and being strong. And so you've definitely had that continuum also of some activism within your music and being able to use the spotlight to turn it on to social injustice. Um, tell us about getting arrested during the um, mortgage crisis and, you know, it's a big uh, movement to try to keep people in their homes you were part of. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I didn't set out to be an, an activist or organizer or, you know, community leader or anything like that. Um, you know, when the, when the protest, when the Occupy movement was going on, and the Arab Spring was going on. Um, you know, I was making music about the about that spirit, and it came. To, it was brought to my attention that you know when people were doing Occupy. That's this is you know five six years ago at this point. Uh, but when people were doing that, there was um, you know kind of these this new young energy of people going into the street, realizing that life isn't fair realizing that things economically and socially and things like that aren't fair. So they basically went out and just, you know, occupied public space. And I thought that was cool, but that didn't inspire me in any particular way. But in Minneapolis, um, this young white organizer that was helping to organize the, the Occupy stuff 
was friends with a, a slightly uh, older black organizer who had been working on uh, the, the mortgage crisis and the foreclosure crisis in the black community in, in Minneapolis. And the two of them got together and decided, like, rather than just occupying public space and getting arrested just to make a very broad statement, let's actually have those people come and occupy the houses of uh, black, brown, and also working families. Mm. You know, uh, there was, you know, white elders and veterans and, you know, basically working people that were losing their homes. Really not for any fault of their own. You know, it's not that they were just, you know, living irresponsible lives. Maybe they got behind at some point. There were all kind of sneaky ways to basically get those homes back. Um, a lot of times the, the banks had benefited from public dollars to get people in those houses, first-time home buyers and things like that. And so they did that, and then they received however many years of payment from the from the family. And then as soon as the family misses a few payments or gets behind or has some hardship or difficulty, then they, they foreclose on the house and then they sell it again. So, you know, these Occupy protesters were actually going and literally chaining themselves to houses and not letting the, the, the sheriffs evict families. And um, uh, banks were under such pressure that they were renegotiating with the families. A lot of times there was debt forgiveness and things like that. So, you know, this is something that was already happening that people reached out to me and asked me if I would be a part of. And I, I really, it really spoke to me and I was really um, inspired by it. And at one point, uh, we started having so many victories that the the press start, stopped reporting about it. And Occupy Homes specifically had become a national or was starting to become a national movement. And so the decision was made kind of on a national level that we were going to have uh, in all the cities where Occupy Homes was happening, uh, that we were going to make a, a big statement that would bring it into the national news. And so I made the decision that day to get arrested because I knew that it would at least help the story um, if somebody with you know any kind of platform um, would make a statement like that. So that's what we did. Um, and there has been some pressure from uh, the government on de on various levels and from their various departments, just because of the traveling that I do, because of the music that I make, because of also the speaking that I do. Um, you know, I'm also considered a clergy person in, in the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've had a lot of difficulties with that. You know, I do want to say, though, that my music, it... it, it you know, these kind of bigger things that I get invited to be a part of and that I choose to support them. Um, you know, this is what I support with my music instead of supporting consumer goods. You know, like I said, that so many of the people that I really love to listen to, um, they allow their music to be used to support, you know, corporate products and things like that. <clears throat> and I've chosen not to do that, but it's like, you know... That does mean people do that because there's power behind that music and there's power behind the meaning of the music. Um, so when you see them supporting alcohol companies and things like that. Or prescription or, drugs. Uh, <laughs> what's that? I said perhaps prescription drugs companies you get in there. 
Yeah, I mean, prescription drugs or, um, you know, a lot of times it'll be um, like these energy drinks that are addictive. I mean, those are low-level, you know, drugs. And uh, they do spend a lot of money in the music community. Uh, they do spend a lot of money with creatives. And, and, you know, it can be really cool. And, you know, but I, I just don't want to do that if I if I don't have to. Um but I do see that, okay, where could this power be helpful? So I've, I've chosen to lend it to things like that Occupy Homes thing and then the people within the Sanders campaign that I, that I know and love. And then also some other, uh, you know, some other political things as well. But it's important to me that while we're talking about all this, that my music isn't about politics. My music is about my personal journey and experiences. And... You know, I'm I'm just a person that cares about what's going on in society as well, um, and so it's not overtly political. Most of it is not overtly political music. Most of it is about the human uh, kind of uh, struggle and triumph and highs and lows and joys and woes and celebrating and commiserating and it, most of it it's really personal music uh, that does have I think an uplifting feeling for people because of the fact that you know i've been through a lot not anymore any less than anybody else we all suffer and we all have pain and we all have you know great challenge and adversity and things like that um but i've been able to uh be successful and i don't mean monetarily but i mean the ability to live from my heart uh is my success and um so that means a lot to me and i think it means a lot to the people so I just say that to say that, you know, it's not like we're advertising this really kind of heavy, deep, um, you know, night or concert of, um, you know, where people will come and just kind of be preached to. There's none of that in in the music and in the performance. It's really just a celebration and a, a, a kind of a group healing, I think, is what how I would describe it. That's what makes it dope hip-hop, right? That's why people need to come and experience this collectively. Nobody really has the time or energy to be um, preached to in the party setting. You know, I think it's a it's a difference of this hip-hop generation. We come together for the celebration and the big fun. The previous very socially active generation, you know, with the civil rights movement, it was very much church-bound and discipline-led. So there's um, a... a you know, a, a different way that we're coming together, but it's really great to, you know, hear you mention that you're also um, in the clergy because that's sort of, you know, the last area I wanted to explore with this um, conversation is about the, the, the hip-hop spiritual life, the sort of overlooked shadow where so much of hip-hop is experiencing itself in a mainstream way um you know you have hip-hop people getting arrested all the time but it's usually they're not doing so for a you know purposeful cause they're not choosing to do that but that kind of action harkens back to previous generations In 
your opinion, like the hip hop spiritual life or, you know, is there a life force, a connection of this culture? Well, when we say spiritual, so when I say spiritual, I'm referring to anything that's uh, bigger or, or, or uh, than just the material reality. And really, that's what art is, and that's what culture is, mm. and that's what music is, and that's what all, you know, people that work in the world of meaning and basically produce things that are based on uh, meaning and based on something that's not physical, um, that we're... We, we create these things to basically represent the world of meaning or bring the unseen world of meaning into the, or, or the world to be seen and to be heard and to be felt and to be experienced. Uh, that's really what music is. Um, you know, whether someone says they're, they're doing it um, in the name of something spiritual, that's, I see, I see it all as being that way. And it's, it's really important to, um, when people have an experience at a show or at a, you know, at a movie even, or at a stand-up concert or, you know, these, these kind of like group experiences where you have somebody creating based on what's going on inside of them, um, that it allows for a group of people to have an experience together, like a collective experience that's based on some sort of unseen meaning. And that's really rare in these times, you know, because of the fact that so many of the religious institutions have let us down and hurt us. And that, you know, in the Muslim community, there's no shortage of that. There's no shortage of that in any of these, you know, religious traditions. Um, and so people don't people don't want to be part of those. And I understand that. Um, I still do. But that's that's a you know, that it's a challenge, just like it's a challenge to be. Uh, you know, I come to music because of the love of beauty and meaning. And like I said, so much of the music industry is controlled by corporate uh, power and messaging and things like that. And that's really heartbreaking, too. They're like, that's not what we're supposed That's not what it's supposed to be about. Um, you know, the same is true in, in so many areas where human beings are, because human beings are very complicated and struggle with the human condition. Um but, you know, I'm, I'm really driven by that. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's not a preaching thing where anybody, I think, ever feels like they're supposed to be anything or anyone other than who and what they are. Um, but, you know, my own kind of journey through the difficult things in life, but always being able to see meaning in them, always be able to, to, to find a reason to celebrate and to be hopeful um, and healing. I think that, you know, if you can hurt in public and then you heal, then you're also healing in public. And the people that see themselves in, in your hurt can also see themselves in your healing. And um, so it's a really powerful thing for me. A lot of the people that come to these shows have been coming for a decade or more. Um, and then there's always new people at the shows, too. But it, it really has been um, a group journey. So my intention when I perform is to celebrate, not only celebrate that like, hey, we're all at a show, or celebrate like, hey, I'm, I have a new album, which I do, but to celebrate the fact that this, this coming together of people um, is a, a really special thing. And it's, a, and it's also made me free. 
So I'm also there to thank and to serve. I'm I'm there with a deep sense of gratitude that like, you know, these are the people and it, it might not be an arena. It might not be 50,000 people in every city, but it might be 500. But like these 500 people in every city have made it so that I am free to explore myself and express myself uh, as openly as I want to. It's a beautiful thing. And the hip hop tribes will be gathering listeners. We are speaking to Brother Ali. He's playing at the Fox Theater this Tuesday, February 11th. Um, who do you have on tour with you? Who's supporting you that will also be seeing at the Fox? So this one is actually really special to me. We always, um, usually we bring along artists that are up and coming. Uh, part of what we do is, is apprentice. So, you know, Atmosphere, when I began Atmosphere, took me on tour and taught me how to do it. And then a number of other people did too. Um, so some of the legends, Rakim and Ghostface Killer and a lot of the guys in Wu-Tang Clan um, and Public Enemy, those were all really, and, st- and remain like really influential people. Uh, but this one is a little bit different because um, we'll have Open Mike Eagle with us, who's originally from Chicago, lives in L.A. now, um, you know, independent, underground artist, extremely creative. Um, his music is really smart and it's really funny. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, humor, very subtle kind of humor. Um, he had a show on Comedy Central. Um, you know, and th- this, he has a, a, a fan base of his own. So usually where I'm trying to help and encourage younger artists, um, this is a little bit different in the sense that each of us do have a fan base that are probably aware of each other, but aren't necessarily exactly the same. Mm. And so it's, uh, this is a really great opportunity for both of us to, to pair up on this tour. Yeah, Open Mike Eagle is really dope. I got to see him, and you know he's doing like a a Q and A with people in the crowd, like Open Mike Eagle giving life advice between songs, um, and uh, his his recorded work as well reflects that um, Project Blowed, Los Angeles kind of syllable style flipping, as well as cool deep subject matter. Um, so that's really dope. It's going to be incredible. Um, any last words of uh, inspiration here before we get back to the afternoon sound alternative? Um, no, I, I'm just really grateful to be coming back to Colorado. It's one of the places that's always been the most supportive of our music. Um, you know, we're from Minneapolis, and we'll, whenever we see any kind of analytics about where m- most of our support comes from, Colorado is always in the top five. It's always Minneapolis, LA, Colorado, or some, I mean, there are certain things where Colorado is uh, the top for us, you know? So we've always really loved it there. We've always really felt very much at home there. Um, you know, it's because it's, it's not on a coast. It's a major city and it's, you know, Denver, meaning, you know, uh, Denver, which I know is just outside of Boulder, but, that area this has grown so much and changed so much. Um, you know, it's one of the areas that's been able to grow without losing its aesthetic or without losing what it means to be in Colorado. I know a lot of people that have been there for a long time. We used to go in Colorado was some of the shows there were kind of grimy. Like you had to be, you had to be aware of your safety mm. um, in Colorado back in the day. And it's, it's really not like that now. 
Um, but I think that's it's one of the areas that's grown a lot, uh, but it still has maintained, you know, the ethic of, of what Colorado is about being outdoors, being with people, um, you know, sharing a vibe and all of that natural beauty and, you know, so I, I, it's one of the places that I'm really always so happy to go back to and like we come back again and again. That's so dope. We'll be um, hoping for nice, clear weather here on Tuesday, the 11th. We're getting socked with a snowstorm right now, but I know the people, uh, we don't we don't let that stop us either. We bundle up, get the layers on and uh, man, uh, best wishes for the rest of the tour and looking forward to checking out the show on Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Peace. Peace.